Welcome to the Enchanted Ears Podcast, where we discuss anything and everything Disney. I'm Angela. And I'm Joe. And we are back by popular demand, just like your favorite noodles over at Ohana. <laughs> and I don't know if you heard about this, but Ohana's reopening yes. uh, over at Walt Disney World. And Disney announced the menu and the noodles weren't on there. And people went insane. And so Disney caved like three days later and the noodles are back. And it was like a triumphant, like angel singing uh, all over Twitter. Yeah, people were so excited that the noodles at Ohana were back. People were happy it was open. And then they were like, oh, no, never mind. We need the noodles. And uh, But now the noodles are back. So Well, I'm excited to try them. Yeah, I think reservations like booked up pretty quick too. So Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Hopefully, we we get to go and sometime soon. I don't know. Hopefully, yeah. Next time, next time we're down there, run, we'll try. Run Disney gets announced. Yeah, it'll be good to to kind of actually get a, a chance to eat there and see what these noodles are all about that everybody freaked out over. So, uh, on today's episode, we have an interview with author Aaron Goldberg. He's written a few books uh, on Disney. And so we get a chance to talk to him. His most recent one is calling Buying Disney's World. It's all about the land purchase and how Disney acquired all of the land at Walt Disney World. It was really interesting. Uh, and there's a lot of like just interesting intrigue and facts about it, like the CIA's involved and everything. We get into it with them oh, in the yeah. interview. So uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, so we're really excited for it, you to hear that. It's one of those uh, things where you have a a story about you know acquiring land, which doesn't sound that interesting, but... It is so interesting how they kind of had to do these like backroads deals and get people to kind of aid them that makes it so interesting. But before we get into the interview, let's cover the Disney news for the week. So we already talked about the Ohana noodles being back. Everybody's excited about that. Disney announced a major change to their mask policy. Next week, we're actually going to be doing our trip review from when we were there a few weeks ago. And we're going to get into the mask because we've we've gotten a lot of questions about uh, what it's like down there so far. And if you do have a question that you'd like us to cover uh, during our trip recap, you can send it to us at our website, enchantedears.com slash podcast question. But a lot of people are asked about masks. So we'll, we'll talk about it next week and kind of get into you know what we saw down there. But all of that is changing. So Disney announced starting June 15th, masks will not be required for anybody that is vaccinated. They're not going to ask for proof of vaccination or anything. But the only place you will need to wear a mask is on Disney transportation. So if you're on the Skyliner, on the bus, or on the monorail, you will still need a mask. But otherwise, you will not need a mask on the attractions, uh, in the queues, or anything like that. And they already had it where you didn't need it outdoors. So this is a big change. Universal kind of did this a few weeks ago where you didn't need masks at all within the park. So Disney's kind of following suit with this uh, coming up in a couple of weeks. I will say, I, I'm curious how many people are going to lose their masks because they don't have to have them on all the time. Because I went out in public the other day and wasn't sure whether or not I needed to wear one. And I dropped my mask in the middle of the street. <laughs> I didn't even notice because I didn't really need it for the stores I was going in. Um, so I'm, I'm curious. I know I actually lost my mask when we were down there, which I'm sure I'll probably talk about. But we just went, I just went to guest relations and they provided one for me. That's a good point. I wonder if the buses will have some disposable ones because before at least you didn't need it outdoors, but you needed it everywhere else. So there were signs, you know, keep your mask handy. You're going to need it when you go on a line, when you go on a ride. But now, you know, if you need to get from the hotel to the park and then you never need it again, you're right. There's probably a, a high likelihood you could lose it or misplaced or something. So I'm sure they'll have some 
disposable ones handy, but but we'll see. So last week we talked about Boobash, the pricing for that, and how it's <laughs> super expensive. That did not seem to stop anyone because due to high demand, Disney has already added five more nights. So three nights in September, two nights in October. Um, so yeah, it seems like people are very excited for any sort of after hours event. And I'm going to echo my concern over this because again, this does not incentivize Disney to bring back Mickey's Not So Scary Halloween with all of its perks. You know, it, people are booking this lesser event that's shorter. And so it is, I'm a little worried about that. No, I, th- I think, I mean, really the additional perks of like characters and fireworks, I think those are going to come back whenever they're available. Okay. I mean, there are rumors that fireworks may be coming back to Disney World soon. I mean, there's a chance that maybe people are banking on that, that by October yeah. that they have fireworks and they're able to do a show and it's just they haven't announced it yet because they weren't able to do it. So maybe people are banking on that. I also think October 1st with the 50th anniversary, there's probably a lot of bookings around then. So it makes sense that there's maybe some high demand if you're down there already in October that you're going to be doing this. But it remains to be seen. But yeah, people uh, people don't seem to care about the major you know price hike on that. And then the last thing I wanted to mention is the new series. It's a docu-series on Disney Plus coming July 16th. It's called Behind the Attraction, which I'm really excited about because it's taking you, uh, quote, behind the curtain of some of the most beloved attractions and destinations at Disney Parks and Resorts. So some of the episodes are going to cover the Jungle Cruise, Small World, Haunted Mansion. I think they're even going to do one on Galaxy's Edge. So it's really exciting. The Rock is actually an executive producer on this show. Disney announced this a few years ago, but it's finally coming to Disney Plus, and it's a, a 10-part series. I believe every episode drops on July 16th. I, I don't see that in the official Disney press release, but I thought I saw that somewhere. Oh, no, here it is. So it is, in the, it is in the press release later on that all 10 episodes will be available to stream. So very excited about that because if anybody's listening to this show, they know I like binging my content. So I'm very excited that I can just watch all of these at one time and I don't have to wait for 10 weeks to see them all. Much to my dismay, Joe loves to binge watch things. That is not my preferred method of, of watching things. I like to savor things as they come out and, you know, wait a little bit. But I also think we would be remiss to not mention that on Friday, June 18th, and this one kind of snuck up on me. I completely forgot about it. Luca comes out. Really excited about it. It's a Disney Pixar. So this one is just... It's not a premium access thing. It, it is just going to be on Disney Plus, and so you can just watch it on on Friday. So really excited about this. I'm going to have my Sea Monster gear on, uh, like I have some. Um, maybe I'll make some this week. That'll be my project for the week. But I'm really excited to see the, I think it's like what the Italian countryside and um, you know, kind of what they do with that. So yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, a lot of good stuff out on Disney Plus for the summer. You know, we have the Loki series going on, this Behind the Attraction. Oh, Luca. my goodness. Loki. Yeah, so uh, good good content to get you through the summer here. All right, so that, that wraps up Disney News, so let's jump into our interview. So we are happy to be joined by award-winning author Aaron H. Goldberg. Aaron has written multiple books about Disney, including The Disney Story, Meet the Disney Brothers, and his most recent book, Buying Disney's World. Aaron, welcome to the show. Thank you guys for having me. And uh, if you try to Google Aaron, make sure that you put the H in there, because if you try to Google Aaron Goldberg, you're going to get a jazz pianist. Yes. And I'm not that <laughs> talented, which is why I use the H. So I can identify from that hey, extremely listen, talented person. 
Listen, uh, I've tried. I've written a couple books, and uh, that takes talent, skill, and a lot of de- dedication. That's why I, mine aren't published. <laughs> I, I agree. I, I definitely agree. And uh, thank you. I'm, I'm humbled by those compliments, but it definitely is. Um, it's an adventure. <laughs> yes, yeah, for sure. Yes. Yes. All right. So, so we'll start off. This is a, a common question with our, our for our guests here. So why Disney? Um, I think Disney, I mean, why not? We all, I feel like we all at some point growing up get exposed to Disney. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like the... It, it, I feel like it transcends. I mean, it basically transcends so many things. It's it's so ingrained in our culture. Um, my mm-hmm. background's in anthropology, study culture and things like that. Um, not so much now, but once upon a time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, it's like a rite of passage from the time you know you uh, you know you were a kid or have a child or anything like that. I mean, Disney's there. It's on television. It's on the radio. It's in the supermarket when you buy your food. It's I mean, you can't escape it. It's everywhere. We live. We all, whether we want to or not, live in a Disney world. So you studied anthropology. I mean, was I mean, I imagine the goal wasn't always to write history books about Disney. I mean, what? no, it was definitely was not. I would, this would never. This was never even on my really on my radar. I mean, I was always into Disney, but I never thought I would. I would write a book, or let alone you know, like almost half a dozen books at this point. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. But I just became fascinated with Walt Disney. You know, there was a there was a, a huge stretch as like any other child. You know, we we're exposed to the cartoons and the animation and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you know, I, I, I've been to the parks, but as an adult, you know, I got a little bit older and I had a different appreciation. Mm-hmm. And I w- would go to Disney World and I was just sort of fascinated by everything I saw. It's like, wow, this like came from one man's, you know, I hate to say it, one man's dream, one man's brain. I mean, it was just fascinating. And I would read everything and anything I could. Um, and then it just, I went down like a bad hole, the deep dive of reading all things Disney. And I was just like, you know what, there's like things I don't see in books. You know, there's always like, you know, there's the Disney biography that, you know, Disney put out and there's the Mm -hmm. Gabler biography and, you know, and then I just would start poking around. I'm like, I think there's something more. There's a lot more that hasn't been told. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm going to do my take on it. And all these years later, here I am. Yeah. That, that's the amazing thing about Disney is that there are so many different angles you can come from because like you said, it started with the cartoons, but then there's the Mm -hmm. theme parks and the hotels and the restaurants. I mean, it's such a multifaceted business that there is a lot of entry points to it. It's all encompassing. I mean, it's, it's great. If you really sit and think about it, like it's like a, you know, a public company like no other in Mm -hmm. in history. That's, you know, so revered. I mean, I don't want to say, you know, like we're like a part of a cult or, you know, whatever, but like, <laughs> I, I mean, think about it, like they're like where, what other dedicate? Sure. There's people who love Ford cars and they're going to only drive yeah. Ford, you know, and there's folks who, you know, are, 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 you know, I'm a Pepsi drinker. I'm a Coke drinker, but it's like nothing like Disney. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They have quite the, the fandom. Yeah. Yeah. We're all guilty of it. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we, we talked a little bit about, you know, writing books is hard. So what's your process and how do you typically come up with an idea and start your research? The process has, you know, has, has evolved and changed, you know, as I've, you know, continued to write books. I usually sort of do a very rough outline. Mm-hmm. You know, I sort of come up with chapters, don't necessarily name them, but I have a very rough outline of what I want to cover. Like, so the Disney story, I knew I wanted to go decade by decade. I knew I wanted to like, I wanted to start post Mickey Mouse. So when I didn't want to really didn't necessarily want to go into 
so much Walt and how he, you know, came to be where he came to be. But I wanted to sort of hit with like how Disney sort of penetrated our society when things started really started rolling decade by decade. So I, you know, I just sort of charted out, you know, 19, 1930s, 40s, 50s, and so forth, and then took the main topics. And then it was hard to weed out because, yeah, I mean, obviously you have to leave some out. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I just sort of hit things that were really popular or really monumental or had an impact in our culture or society or things like that. Um, and then just started to research and I looked for like, you know, in that book, I really looked for things that were unique or special or different. Um, I mean, everybody knows about Pinocchio and everybody knows about Snow White and you could find those stories, but I sort of looked for things that were like a little bit different, like Snow White, they, they wanted to do, and actually they did it, um, like a, basically a book for Braille. So it was an audio book in the 1930s. I mean, that's like, that's random. That's a weird, I want to say weird, but it's a random Disney thing that most people don't know about. Um, or like, you know, I, like there was a, I found a story on Mary Blair from the 1940s and she's, you know, I'll probably mangle the quote, but she said, they call me marijuana Blair because my dreams are so, my, my ideas are so far out and so crazy and so wild. <laughs> so it's like conservative 1940s. That's, mm-hmm. that's like a, yeah. So I would look for not like the most obvious stories, but sort of to tell the story. Um, yeah. So that sort of went that way. And, Basically, all the other books, you know, Meet the Disney Brothers. Um, I wanted to bring more attention to Roy. I feel like he's very underappreciated. Yeah. Um, so, but I also wanted to show that, you know, we need, you know, for as a, for a kid's book, like, family is so important. Like, and without his older brother, where would Walt Disney be? He'd probably be successful, but maybe not as, or not, you know, to the, to the extent. Um, so, again, it was sort of just timelining his life. And filling in the pieces. Um, and buying Disney's World, I basically was fortunate to get, fortunate enough to get access to Robert Foster's notes. And Robert Foster was the attorney who he was originally attorney at Disneyland, and he went around and basically scoured Florida and put all the deals together, did all the land purchases. Um, I basically took his notes and sort of plugged in the the pieces of. I started with like the conception of Disneyland, Walt had some, you know, I don't want to say bad feelings, but there were certain things that happened post Disneyland that he didn't like, you know, the things growing up, going up outside of the park and he lost Mm -hmm. control and he didn't have as much land. So by about 58, he was ready to find a new project. And that's sort of how we get to Walt Disney world. So I sort of took Robert Foster's notes and sort of created the story from, you know, let's say 1958 to the day the park opened. And again, I just sort of timelined everything. Um, and then I go back and try and plug the pieces in and make some sort of cohesive story, which, you know, it doesn't always work that way. Like you try and force something in because you really want to say something, but it doesn't always work. So you got to go back mm-hmm. to it and hope that all the pieces come back together. Wow. Yeah. And I think what's interesting, you know, about all your books is they're kind of different formats. Yeah, so they're, like they're you buried. Like, like you mentioned, you know, Disney stories kind of decade by decade. And then your your Meet the Disney Brothers book is is kind of like a children's it's book. A children's yeah. Book. And so what what kind of led you to to take that format for that specific book? I think you talked a little bit about it. It's kind of about family, but was there like another yeah. driving factor for that? Um I just you know, the whole Roy thing, I wanted Roy to get some attention. Not that like he doesn't get attention, but I feel like there was a, a great story between the two brothers. Um, working together and, you know, 
sort of conquering the entertainment industry, which they did. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that's there's like a valuable lesson there. And I just, I, I feel like it's a, it was like an easy story to tell. It's hard to, you know, and I always say like, I'm not, I won't write another book because it's hard to put a book together and write a book about Walt Disney or Disney parks. Cause there's so many, there's so many like books out there. There are so many topics. I always tried to find a unique angle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought there's tons of, you know, there's a lot of books on Walt as, you know, biography, I am Walt Disney or whatever it's called. You know, there's a lot of those out there, but I just tried to work my angle of, well, it wasn't always just Walt. There was Roy there. Um, I sort of try and do my own spin on the obvious. It wasn't like yeah. a traditional biography. I think that's a good point too. Um, I mean, that's, I think one thing we've learned from like doing the podcast yeah. and just doing different histories is that yeah, Walt and Roy were kind of almost a yin and yang. Like Walt yeah. was this this huge dreamer, but Roy was really the numbers guy he that grounded it. Grounded in reality. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he's the one that actually made it go. I mean, you're right. Without Roy, yeah. a, none of this would have really been possible because Walt really didn't care about the money. Like Roy always had to yep. keep coming up with it. Yeah, I think the last line of the book, or one of the last lines in Meet the Disney Brothers, I say. If Walt Disney was, you know, history's greatest dreamer, then Roy Disney was history's greatest dream maker. Mm, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's really the way it came out to be. And I, I think that there's definitely, I, there's a huge need for this. I actually, I mentioned the other day in one of my classes, Walt Disney being a person. I don't know why it came up. And my one student goes, wait, Disney was a real person? And I'm like, yep. y- yes. Like, yeah. Are, are it's insane, kidding? right? Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense because the the name is so household. It's such a household name that you don't necessarily realize it's connected with a person. But at the same time, it's like, oh my gosh, no, Walt Disney it even says his name on the thing. But you know, yeah, and that's that's a huge. I mean, that was another part of Meet the Disney Brothers. So in two thousand and one, um, Disney's research showed that most kids under you know the age of six didn't know that Walt was a real person, <laughs> and he was like more along the lines of like you know. Uh, you know, I, I don't know, like, you know, some, you know, Ronald McDonald or somebody, you know, uh, some character that's made like up. A fable and, or like a Joe Magarak or what, ex- like, yeah, uh, yeah. What, who's the guy that has like the Paul blue Bunyan. Yeah, Paul there you Bunyan. go. Paul yeah. Bunyan. Yeah. Yeah. So that was another component of that. I, I, I stumbled upon that research when I was writing um, the Disney story and it sort of just resonated in my head that, I mean, this is, you know, I mean, I get it. They're, they're children and it's, Uncle Walt isn't on TV anymore, but still to think that this guy wasn't, you know, a real person is, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, That's crazy. Um, so what's the most interesting thing that you learned doing your research? Like what's, what's your favorite factoid that you were just like, oh my gosh, I have to put this in. I really like the, the Mary Blair. Like that one always <laughs> sticks in my head when I talk Disney story. That just, I think about, you know, 1940s to, to say that, especially like a woman working in, you know, a pretty male centric dominated industry studio, whatever it's even, you know, and she, she, you know, she rocked, she was awesome. Um, that one always stuck into my head. Meet the Disney brothers very early on. I think I opened the book with a story about Roy giving a speech and he flat out says, I'm going to, uh, you know, I'll murder the, the, the verbiage exactly. But he says something like, have you ever been peed on by a genius? (laughs) And he, and, and he's like, well, I have, because Walt, I know I shared a bed when we were kids and Walt used to wet the bed. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I have to put that in very early. It's a kid's book. Kids mm-hmm. wet the bed. Now they right. can be like, all right, it's not a big deal. Walt does he yeah. wet the bed too. He peed on his brother Roy and, you know, so be it. Um, Mom, 
Walt yeah. peed on me. Walt peed on me. Like, that was, like, to me, I was like, oh, that's awesome. That That's how he opened up a speech. Like, have you ever been peed on by a genius? So I was like, wow, that's that's <laughs> awesome. And I think the the third, from from the most recent book, from Buying Disney's World, I, I was able to come across an ad from 1911 um, and a big parcels of land that are now Walt Disney World were sold mail order from a company called Munger Farms. And Munger Farms was based in Missouri. They owned huge parcels of land in Central Florida. And for $5 down and $5 a month, you could get five acres. Well, a lot of those acres became Walt Disney World. So I, I ended up coming across an, an ad from 1911 with where you could check the box and say, you know, here's the $5. I want I want one parcel of five, or do I want 10, or I want 15 or 20? And you could mail away. And when Disney was going to buy a land, they actually had to go through and buy about 65 of those parcels. So they had to go out to about 65 different people and say, hey, you know, somebody in your family about, you know, 55, 60 years ago bought this land. Um, and oftentimes they never saw it. They never have been to Florida. The, mm-hmm. A lot of the land was underwater. It was swamp. It could never be used. Um, and Disney had to go in and, and Bob Foster went in and, you know, made contact with all these people all over the country face to face and bought a lot of the parcels. And I always thought that was pretty amazing. Yeah. And I, I want to talk a little bit about your most recent book here, you know, buying Disney's world, because I think that is a fascinating story. I mean, one of the things you kind of mentioned is there that, that Disney had a CIA operative essentially helping them yeah. kind of do this clandestine operation because they didn't want anybody to know they were purchasing all this land. Yeah. He was, Paul Hallowell was, I think, at the time, he was, they say he was rumored to be the paymaster. So he basically funded the Bay of Pigs um, oh, okay. to assassinate Castro. He mm-hmm. also tried to topple other governments in South America. He owned a bank in Miami, an insurance company in Miami, and that bank in Miami was the CIA's front to funnel money to do whatever they were doing around the world. And that was his oh, bank. Wow. And here, so Paul Hallowell, who during World War II was an operative and super high up in the CIA, well, it was the OSS at the time, um, while he's going to buy land for Disney, and to be honest, the land doesn't get purchased. These specific parcels do not get purchased without Paul Hallowell. He, um, he basically they would run into problems along the way buying specific large parcels and he, whatever problem they encountered, he made it go away. I mean, he was pretty remarkable, but here this guy is, you know, buying land for Disney and trying to topple foreign governments. Let's clarify. He made it, he made the problems go away. He didn't murder anybody, right? No, no murders, (laughs) but he knew everyone. Like it was like a, you know, it was just basically there was a parcel of land so the so the main part there were you know there's basically three major parcels of land for that make up Disney World, mm-hmm. and then a lot of other smaller ones. But of the three mm-hmm. major parcels, each of those individual ones had problems attached to getting ownership. So there there was a Dem Tree lot, and that basically is Magic Kingdom, you know, Bay, and there was a Bay Lake parcel. So the Dem Tree lot, they the the Dem Tree um, they were cousins. They owned mm-hmm. this piece of land, but they did not own the mineral rights to the land. So it meant basically the Demtree family owned the top, you know, like the top rights and it's Florida, it's crazy Florida legal things here, real mm-hmm. estate. So they basically owned the top part of the land, but everything underneath it was owned by Tufts University. The Demtree brothers were builders. They were going to build homes. They could build on the land, but then Tufts University could come in at any point 
and blow everything up, knock everything down to get to the mineral rights. So basically surface rights is what they owned mm-hmm. are kind of like useless if you don't own the mineral rights. And it still sort of goes on in Florida. South Florida, there's there's a case, there's like it's still a case lingering where a home builder did, basically did the same thing. These people bought homes and they sold the mineral rights. So these people are like, wait a minute, this was in the past like five or seven years. So Paul Hellowell was like, all right, that land's basically useless. You know, if you, if, you know, to the Demtree family, if you hold on to this land, you can't do anything. Your hands are tied. We're probably your best option to get those mineral rights from Tufts University. Um, and they, the Demtree family said, well, we tried. They were not interested. So Paul Hallowell made a few, few phone calls, comes to find out a man who sits on the board of Tufts University, works at a bank, um, and the person who owns, who is the president of the bank is a former CIA agent that he was buddies with. <laughs> he called up, got a meeting, basically proposed to Tufts University and said, you know, a university is only worth, you know, what you have is only worth money if you're willing to sell it. You know, you're going to sit on this and no one's going to ever develop any of this land. Mm-hmm. So you should take the money. You know, what universities always need is money. We're giving you an opportunity to sell this, make some money and move on. Um, ended up, you know, negotiating with them and gave them, a, he was an attorney, and gave them a really solid like pitch and told them how wrong they would be for staying, you know, sitting on it. And they sold it the next day for $16,000. So they, you know, wow. Disney bought the rights for sixteen grand, and they were able to move forward. But without that, I mean, the the, the Demtree family had, you know, they had a, they basically had worthless land, and they sort of knew it. They knew right. what, are we, what are we going to do? We can't build when Tufts could, you know, come in and and mine. So they were looking to mine phosphorus or oil, um, and the land didn't have it, either of those things. It would already it was already explored. So in essence, it was like holding onto it for no reason. Right. That um, is a banana story. Yeah. <laughs> crazy and and there was a similar story on another piece of land i don't give too much away because it's it's it literally is like you know by the book yeah by the book exactly but there's I'm a, like on the edge of my seat right now yes and there's, and there's about a, land ownership too yeah it's crazy like the there's another story um erlo bronson was a state senator and he had another parcel um disney ended up buying um it's around i4 but yeah he they had problems there and Paul Hallowell came in and literally made another phone call and they got the land. So without Paul Hallowell, there is no, yeah, without, so without the CIA operative, Disney world wouldn't be where it physically is. It would probably be in the same, you know, somewhere else logistically in central Florida, but not specifically there. Right. Wow. Now how did Disney even kind of get connected with Paul? Like, so it's it's an interesting question. So they, they had attorneys in New York city um, they reached out to the legal counsel in New York City and said, hey, you know, we want to do something in Central Florida. We want to do something in Florida, not necessarily sure where. We need we need sort of like somebody on the, on the ground. We need somebody there that knows the lay of the land. You know anyone. And the attorneys in New York City, his name totally escapes me, but it could probably come to me. So the attorney in New York City, the firm that founded that firm, is the founder of the CIA. Oh, okay. 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 So they he said... Absolutely have somebody. He's, you know, I worked with him before. He's in Miami. And Disney wanted to, didn't want somebody in Central Florida. They wanted somebody in Miami away from the area because they didn't want to be too close to where, you know, they were, they were seeking to go. So it's basically a CIA connection throughout this whole thing. That's amazing. Yeah. That's and, so and, crazy. you know, and, and obviously, so it's 1960. So it's not like they're going to, you can go Google like Paul Hellowell and say, yeah, who these people are, right? Yeah, who these people are. You just take on face value. 
and 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 Disney had to convince Paul Hallowell to to work for him because they didn't want to dis disclose who they were and what they were doing. So Robert Foster had to like t make a decision here: Am I going to disclose? You know, who, say who I really am and what we want to do, and take the chance here. I mean, obviously, this guy could take it, keep a secret. He was, you know, in the CIA, but yeah. So it was like a whole. There's like a whole like spy novel going on here that nobody really realizes. Oh my goodness! Now, now your next project, you know, move from writing, uh, you know, nonfiction to writing fiction about the, you know, do a historical fiction novel about the spying going on, and like, I don't know, I, I'm coming there's, up the background. No, there's, there's stuff there. there. There's I, something there. There's, you know, I, I'm, I'm not that creative at all. Like, I'm not. I could never write fiction, and I always say, like, I part of me was like, you know, like the man in the high tower. Like, I always wondered. The, there's a good fiction book of what would happen if Walt didn't die. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. what would have happened? Like let's say Walt lived another 10 years. Mm -hmm. Would we have seen Epcot probably? Um, and how would that have changed? Would there have been Epcots around the country, around the world? And you know, what would I, would he, you know, I, I had a, I was telling this to a buddy and he's like, Oh, I can write that story. It's easy. Epcot came to fruition. Walt ran for president. He was assassinated. Like he went down this whole line. I'm like, Oh my yeah, God. That's way above my pay grade. I give me facts and things I could follow. I can't create. <laughs> That was going to kind of maybe be one of my follow-up questions. Like you mentioned, like what if Walt lived, like in your research, did you see, you know, obviously you mentioned like Walt was kind of upset with Disneyland, how things were getting built up around it. So he wanted, you know, more space, but do you think he ever envisioned what Walt Disney world ultimately became, or was he just kind of thinking, I'm going to build the magic kingdom, you know, and I'll have some more space around it for privacy. I mean, did you think he, he thought it was going to turn into this kind of vacation, you know, destination. And, and like you said, in the beginning, kind of cult-like almost to a certain extent. I think he did. I don't think he, I, I mean, I hate to, uh, so many people like to think or speak for him. Mm -hmm. like, I mean, like you see it all over social media all the time. You know, what, what would Walt do? What would, I mean, I mean, I don't know. I, I could just go, f I think he'd be highly disappointed with what is there in the sense that it wasn't going to be about it. The theme park was secondary. Okay. The theme mm -hmm. park was the attraction to lure people in to come visit Epcot. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Disney World, well, so he would have used Disneyland as like the schematic for the theme park and he would lure people in that way. But it was really about urban development. It was really about changing the way we would live, work. Um, it was, everything was about Epcot. I mean, everything was mm -hmm. about, you know, having everything, ha you know, getting rid of the automobile, having the people mover everywhere, having a monorail. Um, doing a lot of walking, green areas, like green, and, you know, environmental things before, like that was even a thing. Before that was cool. <laughs> yeah. Like we're talking 60s. So, mm -hmm. so, I mean, I guess I, I don't think he would be disappointed. I shouldn't say he would be disappointed, but it definitely wasn't supposed to be what we see. It was, that was supposed to be like tertiary. Yeah. And I was going to say, for maybe listeners who aren't aware, I mean, Epcot, we're not talking the theme park that's ultimately there. That it, you know, Walt's vision was for, like you, you said, a, an actual community, you know, that people would live and it would kind of, you know, change everything. And, you know, I, I think that makes sense because, I mean, throughout history, Walt was always on like the cutting edge of just all technology. I mean, you know, he, he pushed movies to have sound, synchronized sound, color, you know, I mean, so it, it makes sense that he was, you know, he was always thinking decades ahead. Yeah, so. it's he had like a foot in the future and a foot in the past because he did uh -huh. love nostalgia. Yep. Um, yeah. But he always was like he was long on ideas and short on money. Like, and he was always willing to gamble on himself. So you know, sound with Mickey Mouse, um, animated feature with Snow White, Disneyland, 
than it would have been Epcot. I mean, the whole, I mean, you just go down his biography and his resume and it was always, you know, really forward thinking, really ahead of the time. But unfortunately, you know, it, it, it all fizzled out too soon for him. Mm-hmm. And for us, maybe, I guess it would have been cool yeah. to live in Epcot. Where do you think he got the confidence from? Because that is that is a a lot of confidence that he had in himself that and I think most people would doubt themselves and say, I don't have I don't have the money. I can't make it. And you're right. Like throughout all of everything he did, he just was able to say, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to make it happen. Roy, Roy, make it happen. Find the money. I want to make this happen. Yeah. I mean, it was just a drive. It was like an intern. It's like it's one of those like once in a or twice or three times or a handful of times in a, in a lifetime, a person like a Thomas Edison, you know, a, a Henry Ford, a Walt Disney, you know, Musk now a Tesla, Steve Jobs. I mean, those mm-hmm. are like those people mm-hmm. that are just way above and beyond all of us. And it's just like, I, I don't know if it's what's well, clearly genius. And maybe there's some arrogance. You need to be arrogant to be able to just, you know, thumb your nose at the world and say, well, I'm doing it and it's going to work. And that's that. If it doesn't, I'm going to keep trying. And that's basically what all those people uh-huh. did. Yep. Yeah. yeah. You just have to believe the vision so, so much that, yeah, you just keep pushing forward. Fake it till you make it, man. Yeah. Listen, I, that's like one of my favorite. Yeah. Seriously. Fake it till you make it. Nobody doesn't know anything. I will say, I was thinking when, when you were kind of talking about, you know, if Walt was alive and things and, and how he would have thought, you know, thought of the parks. I will say, I think the one thing he probably would have liked is the amount of money the company has now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, the money problems have kind of gone away. He he probably could have done a lot with that. So oh my yeah, that, it's like it's staggering. Mm-hmm. Like I, you know, I often think back that it's, it was like a family business. Uh-huh. It was Walt and Roy, and it was a family business, and they struggled for you know ninety percent of that time. You know, mid sixty, early sixties came, and they didn't struggle so much. Mary Poppins was huge, and Disneyland Disneyland was standing on its own. Mm-hmm. And they were able to, you know, the World's Fair helped. And then they were able to really go tackle Florida to, to do his last big dream here. And it, it was, you know, they were finally like towards the end where they were able to breathe financially. But I mean, for him to, I'm sure he's looking down somewhere and like they're like the second largest entertainment company, maybe the first. I don't know. It mm-hmm. depends. But yeah, I mean, it's insane. Even like now with Disney Plus, like it's. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I mean, how could that be? I, I did an interview before that came out with somebody and he was asking my thoughts of, you know, do I think it'll be a success? And like, how, I mean, there's, there's like 90 years of content. How can it fail? Yeah, how could it not be? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's basically it everybody's fail? childhood on a streaming service. Like who uh, wouldn't want it? Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's insane. And it's a fantastic resource. Like anytime if I, it's not, it's not frequently that I have extra time in class or whatever, but I'm like today, like I actually had time and an excuse that, Hey, I can show Disney movies and that's yeah. what I did. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's fantastic. You don't have to bring a DVD in. You don't have to fiddle with it. You just you have it right there at your fingertips. They just need to put more content, like more Walt content, more older content. It just mm-hmm. needs to be like, we need more. Come on. Now I, I want to ask you. Um, so, uh, we mentioned your your Disney storybook is kind of you know decade by decade you mentioned um, out of kind of all the decades of the company that that you research what do you think what, what's your pick for kind of like the most memorable decade or like the most important in the history of the company I'd say probably the 50s i would say like the 10 period the 10 year period from like let's say like 55 to to 65 okay i'm cuz and i lean heavier on theme park things than I do on animation. I mean, I, I love all that stuff and I'm well-versed in it, but, um, you know, Mickey Mouse came about, 
and then you know the the full length animated features came about, but like the the like the extension into society and into culture, and it just really grew from you know f- you know fifty four when Walt gets on TV, Disneyland happens, and then it just sort of like cascades off into like a whole other realm. But with that being said, I also think that there's like Eisner years that were massive too. I mean, I think. You know, the early, like late '80s, early '90s were just incredibly successful. I mean, I know a lot of folks looking back, you know, didn't always agree with what Iger, with what Eisner did. Um, I might have said Eisner before, Iger before, but I meant Eisner. The Eisner years, like, uh, were very. Uh, I mean, he did a lot. He had very like adventurous plans. I mean, the animation went through the roof again, and then he really expanded on you know Disney World, and you know they did some things at Disneyland, but yeah. So I, you know, I, I think, but I'm, I'm partial to, you know, being the historian and the love, my love is basically for Walt. So I got to, you know, pick the late fifties, early sixties. That actually kind of leads into my next question. Um, you know, you mentioned, you've written a lot of histories, you've written a lot about Walt. You kind of mentioned, oh, I'm always saying I'm never going to write another book. I mean, any thought on writing books about other areas of the company or has it always kind of been focused on, you want to focus on Walt and kind of his history and not necessarily maybe, you know, like you said, the movies animation or like Imagineering or something like that. You know, I I think it always, you know, it sounds like cliche, but always for me, it starts with Walt. So it sort of was Mm -hmm. always like an extension out, not saying that I'm not more interested in the more recent things. Um, And I do like the animation. I do like Imagineering. I honestly, I don't know if I would, I honestly don't know that I write another book until something really like jumps out at me again. Like there's something mm-hmm. gotta be something that it's, it, it's gotta be passion or else I, then it, I feel like I'm just, I won't do it. I'll just be like mailing it in. You have to love something in order yeah. to write about it. Otherwise you're going to hate it by the end. No matter what. <laughs> so, I mean, you do so much work that it's like, yeah, exactly. My yeah, personality like, is I'm all or nothing. Uh, yeah. And, and I don't, unless something comes up that I, I mean, I honestly, I had, um, I read the Disney story and I was like, ah, this is probably going to be it. And then, you know, things trickle in your head. And then I had the idea for buying Disney's world since 2017, but I wasn't sure how I could actually like put it all together logistically because his notes were really, Robert Foster's notes were really just from, you know, buying the properties. Like that was it. Um, okay. So I was like, I had to cultivate the story and I was like, man, I don't know if I feel like sitting down to do this. Like, how am I going to get from point A to point B to point, you know, and eventually thanks to COVID and staying home all the time. Um, I was just like, all right, I'm going to sit down and do this. I think I can pull it off. I can figure a way to, to make it happen. But have there ever been any like ideas or topics you thought like would make a, a great story, but like you just haven't been able to like crack the, the story of it. I think other than fiction. No. I mean, okay. I, I think nonfiction, I think I, I ran down pretty much everything I wanted to do. There's nothing like on my, you know, on my mind. I'm like, I really would like to do this, but I don't know. I mean, I, I do think there's a cool story with Walt, what happens if Walt didn't die, but mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. got to be for somebody else. And, there, and then there's other, like, I, I get approached, people come and you know, send me an email, like, oh, I have an idea for a book, and you know, <laughs> here, here's, what it, here's what I'm thinking, and, and I can't, I just can't, I don't know, I just can't. Unless I, it comes like really is like going to strike me. It's it's hard for me to. I can't collaborate with somebody. Like it just got to be. Got to be your own. Yeah. I would say, listen, I'll help you publish it. I'll help you do whatever you want to do. But like, I got to sit this out. I mean, I don't feel it. If I don't feel it, it's like yeah, it's not there. 
Well, that's great. We'll, uh, we'll maybe get you out of here with a couple of like Disney favorites. We kind of l- like to you know close out the interviews and some yeah. of this. So we'll start. So what's your favorite Disney movie? And this could be like throughout all time, you know, Mary Marvel movies. And Mary Poppins. I don't Poppins. Know about okay. it. Mary Poppins. Okay. Probably my favorite yeah. movie of all time. Yeah. Nice. What, what yeah. did you think of the uh, the sequel that came out recently? Eh, eh, <laughs> not so much. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I, I know like you're not, you're supposed to look past the nostalgia and the emotional connection you have to things and parks aren't supposed to be a museum. They're supposed to change. Yeah. I mean, whatever, but yeah, I mean, it was all right, but now come on. Don't, there's certain things you don't do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, mean, I, th- I think that's like we've been talking about. I mean, with Disney, the nostalgia is part of it. So, I mean, I, I think, you know, to your point there with, with the movies and everything. Yeah. That, it, that is part of the love. Like, Hey, this is, you know, from my childhood or, you know, this is something that, yeah, brings back additional memories and it just adds that little extra to it. You yeah. can't write music. Like, I mean, you're not yeah. going to, I mean, yep. you're not going to write music like that. And I'm yeah. not a big musical guy. I'm not a musical guy at all. It's like also like those late eighties, early nineties, Disney movies with music. I mean, you're just, uh-huh. I don't want to see a remake of beauty and the beast. Sorry. I mean, maybe uh, I'm like the that. Lion old guy now. Or the li- yeah. Or the lying. Like maybe I'm that old guy now. Like get off my lawn, kids! Like yeah, you know, keep yeah. get off my lawn. But like, I don't. I'm not interested. It shouldn't be yep. live action. Yeah. yeah, but but you're right. I mean, the Sherman Brothers. I mean, the what they did is yeah, I, I mean, amazing. I mean, just and even you know the 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 songs they wrote for the attractions in the Disney parks, like Carousel Progress and everything. I mean, just it seems like everything yeah. they touched was just a hit. It was just incredible. Have you ever watched the movie about them, The, the Boys? No, if not, I don't think we nah. have. Yeah. Isn't it? Oh, isn't it on Disney Disney Plus? Uh, I would imagine so. Yeah, okay. it's sort of a documentary about them, and it's it's super interesting. All right, going back to our rapid fire questions, what's your favorite yes. ride at the parks? Uh, Spaceship Earth. Ooh, okay, interesting. So, point. are you a Disney World over Disneyland fan then? Uh, I am for the sheer fact that Disneyland's so just always just overcrowded and makes me a little mm-hmm. crazy. Okay, mm-hmm. but and so, I'm 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 on the East Coast, so yeah. it's. I mean, I could get. I'm I'm I, I split my time between Orlando and outside of Philadelphia, so okay. I, nice. I mean, I go to Disney World all the time. Yep. Um, yeah. Same here. That's what we're, we're at Disney World most often. So yeah. like, yeah, we went to Disneyland, and we're like, oh, this is great, but like, we're di- you're just at Disney World so much, like you just yeah, yeah you just naturally kind of lean to it. Totally different experience. I mean, I, I'm Disney World. I mean, Disneyland. It's you know, it was Walt's Park, and it's amazing, and I love it, and I appreciate it. But I, I feel like it has to do with where you grow up. Maybe like you know, I was always we were always going to Disney World. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So so what's your what's your favorite park in Disney World then? Uh, I, I once upon a time it was Epcot, um, okay. <laughs> but I think now it's probably Magic Kingdom. Okay. I mean, I could just sit at the you know train station and and just listen to the background music and watch people i mean i do that often <laughs> that's all i need i don't even really need to go on anything yep. i could just yeah, yeah just kind of walk around just yep. soak it up and yeah that's enough do you do you like sit at home and listen to the youtube backgrounds like people have like sit I, there and just record of it of course i do yeah <laughs> guilty is charged not only that but sometimes if i can't sleep at night i'll go and i'll find the um you know the channel when you're staying in the resorts that plays. You know it shows you the the day, the mm-hmm. date, what's time, and it just yep. plays a continuous loop of maybe like six okay. or eight songs. Uh-huh. And there's times like I can't sleep and I'm like, I can't watch TV anymore. I'm just gonna find it, go on YouTube, and then somebody has like an eight or nine hour loop of that. 
and I'll just put that on. I'll go to bed. Oh, you oh man, your YouTube yeah. algorithm has to be nuts. <laughs> oh, it's bad. It's, yeah, it's, it's not. It's not a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. One one time I made the mistake when we got we got a kitten and I made the mistake of putting on like I think it was cat noises or bird noises or something because I wanted to try to calm the kitten down. And yeah. then my YouTube algorithm for the rest of eternity now <laughs> just has yeah. weird stuff on it. That's pretty funny. Aaron, again, we appreciate this. This was a, a really interesting uh, conversation. If people would like to learn more about you or purchase your books, where can they go to do so? Um, books are available basically everywhere. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, Walmart. It's they're all ebook, paperback, audible. There's a hardcover in there somewhere too on a couple of them. And uh AaronHGoldberg.com, uh Twitter at Aaron H. Goldberg, Instagram at Aaron H. Goldberg, and yeah, I'm not much of a Facebook guy, but there's something there too, I think, I'm sure. I think I <laughs> okay. connected my posts. So when, when I post somewhere it'll end up there anyway. But yeah. All right. And we will put um, links to your your website and the books in the description for the show notes as well if people are interested. Awesome. So, Aaron, again, thank you. This was a um, really great interview and, and really interesting and insightful. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you both. I'm honored. i um, glad you guys asked me to come on, and I love chatting Disney, so it worked well. All right, I want to thank Aaron again for being on the show. And like we mentioned, we will put a link to his website and to his books in the uh, description uh, for this episode as well. So be sure to check those out. You know, Go out and, and purchase some of his books. I want to thank everybody again for listening this week. If you've not done so, please leave us a rating or a review. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast. It really helps us grow the show. Thanks for letting us your ears. Have a great week, everybody. And we'll see you here next Monday. Bye-bye.